Hi, John Gimigliano here, and I'd like to welcome you back to our Catching Up on Capitol Hill podcast series, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and tax policy. Today, we continue the journey on our most requested topic, the Biden tax plan. I say it's a journey because even though, as we discussed last time, there is so little written, there is still so much to say about so many aspects of the Biden plan. As we discussed last time, we are handicapped by a lack of detail or even an original source document from the Biden campaign, but we can rely on reliable sources and what candidate Biden himself has said, at least verbally, which in nearly all cases mirrors what is being widely reported. Today, we're just gonna take a few minutes to outline the Biden plan as we understand it, to highlight the major proposals, but we are not really yet anyway going to dive into any of the technical aspects or considerations and details of those proposals. We'll start tackling those on a one-by-one basis in future episodes. To explore this topic, I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Tom Stout, a director on the legislative team here in Washington National Tax, and Jen Acuna, a principal on the team. All right, Tom, let's start with you. Many have looked at the Biden plan and have described it and put aside the tax plan for a moment. I guess you could argue the entire Biden campaign as really seeking a third Obama term. Do you think that that is a reasonable or fair description in the tax context, knowing what we know about the Biden proposal? Biden has carried over the same tax and economic policy advisors he had when he was in the White House. Uh, It's Ben Harris and Jared Bernstein. And parts of his tax plan that he's talked about during the campaign are quite similar to the proposals that were in Obama's so-called framework for business tax reform that he released back in 2016, like a 21 percent corporate rate, a minimum tax on foreign earnings somewhere in the 19 or 20 percent range. And, you know, also in that in that framework was a was a. a cap on uh, on the corporate interest deduction, which of course has already been put in place by the TCJA, but something you might keep. I think the difference will come in in the emphasis that, that Biden's likely to have going going forward, and that is to focus more on uh, the idea of uh, fairness and and wealth disparity, which you know, his advisors, including some of the outside advisors like Jason Berman, would pin on under taxation of capital. And that's, you know, where the change in the corporate rate, the increase in the corporate rate would come from, but also uh, that would extend over to the treatment of capital gains as ordinary income with the potential for some sort of mark the market regime, or at least taxation of, of capital gains at death. So a little difference in the emphasis. Yeah, well, I mean, the world has changed, obviously, right, since 2015. First of all, we had the TCJA, it was completely changed you know, the baseline we're trying to modify. And then politically, the world has evolved, I think it's safe to say, since then. So it's a very valid point. Jen, speaking of the Obama plan, so it came out while you were on the Hill. And it was viewed by some as a response to the 2014 Republican House tax reform proposal that came out in 2014. Now, the Obama proposal, it got a fair amount of press, but I feel like my recollection is it was a bit overshadowed by this House plan that seemingly most people were talking about. And I think it's safe to say that that House plan, thoughtful as it may have been, was probably viewed as properly viewed as dead on arrival. Do you think that the Obama plan would theoretically, if it had gotten a fair look in Congress, would have had a better chance than the House plan? Or do you think it maybe just wasn't really time yet? to do reform back in really what was then the 2014 to 2016 timeframe? You know, it was considered DOA, 
But, you know, let me remind everyone that it was HR1, right? Because originally when it was released, it was kind of signaled as a top priority that quickly shifted to a bottom priority. But yeah, I mean, I think that what the Obama administration tried to do was present a comprehensive plan. And there weren't, a, there wasn't a ton of detail beyond the Green Book. But what it, the problem with the timing of that proposal and that plan being rolled out is that in every aspect, it wasn't as taxpayer friendly as the House plan, which I worked on. And I mean, for instance, you know, the House plan went to 25%, Obama's went to 28%. The, the, even the international piece, there was a bifurcated rate in the House proposal. Obama's had a single rate, and it was higher than both of the, bifurc both of the rates in the um, deemed repat in the House plan. The minimum tax was higher, it was also more conservative. So there was a lot of compare and contrast. And, you know, when you're on the Hill, what folks listen to is the folks that are coming in and providing feedback. And if anything, the timing of that proposal bolstered the House plan, right? Something that was viewed as DOA was now viewed as, you know, at least it's better than the Obama proposal, right? Because that was kind of, it gave it more leverage, if anything. Well, fair point. But of course, you know, the House plan, I mean, you can be critical of it in some ways, but I guess you could also give it credit. Because on the one hand, you called it, you said it was H.R. 1. But remember, it was a dra draft legislation until like the last week of Congress, and it finally got its H.R. number was formally introduced, sort of as a nod to the outgoing chairman of the, of, of the Ways and Means Committee is one way to view it. On the other hand, much of what ultimately became in the TCJA was made possible, even if it wasn't identical. The lessons learned from what was ultimately H.R. 1 helped make the TCJA possible. So all valid points, but you could have made the same argument about the Obama plan as well. Well, anyway, let's come back to Biden. And let's just, Tom, you mentioned a couple of these things, and so did you, Jen. Here's some of the things that are being that are being reported anyway as what the Biden plan contains. It's a 28% corporate rate. It's a 21% foreign minimum tax. Now, a lot of people call this is just guilty at 21%. I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure we're staying within the guilty regime. We may be uh, moving off into some other more traditional kind of minimum tax. There's a 15% corporate minimum tax. So think of this as a replacement for the old corporate AMT. We would phase out Section 199 Cap A, the special deduction for partnerships. On the individual side, the individual rate goes to 39.6% at the top end. That's for earners making more than $400,000. We would limit itemized deductions for the top earners. And then maybe, you know, really, and at least to me, it's very interesting in terms of how this would get done, is the capital gains rate would come all the way up to normalize or equalize with the ordinary income rate all the way up to 39.6%. So those are some of the big things that are being reported as the highlights of the, the Biden plan. So, Tom, let's come back to you then for a question. You know, what I just described is what we know is in there, but it raises an interesting question of what's not described. These proposals all would raise a fair amount of money. Now, look, there are a couple of modest proposals to expand the earned income tax credit and a few other items, but not nearly enough to spend the money that is being raised. So, you know, typically we don't raise taxes unless we intend to spend it somewhere. So where do you think a, a President Biden would propose to spend this money that would be raised by the plan that we just rattled off? Well, one thing we can be sure of is that after a, after a decade in the wilderness, there, there's no shortage of spending programs that the Democrats have in mind. And then, you know, I think it starts with a couple things that are outlined. Heroes Act, currently pending COVID legislation, like spending a trillion and a half dollars on infrastructure and extraordinary green energy programs 
both credits and, and again, infrastructure proposals. And then there are all the lower income proposals that they've that they've been pushing for a long time. Things like uh, uh, expanded refundable child credit and enhanced social security benefit that might end up driving uh, uh, getting the elimination of the cap on on uh, social security tax. So low income housing, another another area that I see that they're likely to hit. So there's there's no shortage of places to spend the money. I, I think the the, the question is going to be. That, and it, it's the spending that's going to drive the, the tax proposals uh, to the extent that they believe that they're going to need to offset these spending proposals. And I think that, you know, the timing of that will depend on you know, where the economy is, assuming they have control of, of uh, Congress and the White House next year, uh, whether the economy will stand for tax increases, even if they're just offset spending increases, or whether that's going to be delayed somewhat. Fair point. You know, you mentioned the HEROES Act is one indication of a number of Democratic priorities. That's true. Another one you, you alluded to is the infrastructure bill. There was a Democratic, uh, the, the Democratic House released something called the Moving Forward Act, another very substantial bill with a big tax title. And it clearly is a list of priorities around infrastructure as well as to where some of this money could go. Just a quick question for you, Tom, follow up to that. Do you think, you know, Republicans, I think, often will, you know, TCJA is a great example of this, are willing to raise taxes, but only to reallocate that revenue to tax cuts elsewhere, right? So we'll raise taxes here, but we're going to cut them over here. So it's net, net, not a tax increase. What The, the priorities you talked about, I think what I hear saying is they wouldn't necessarily take, take tax revenue and only keep it in the tax system and provide tax cuts elsewhere. Some of that revenue could go to offset spending elsewhere am i thinking of that the right way or no no i think that's that's where the bulk of it would go some of it would stay in the tax system but then you know the shift for instance with uh, with things like um, you know low-income housing credits and refundable child credits would be shifts essentially from taxation of capital you pay for it by raising capital gains rates or, or the corporate tax rate and shifting it to, to lower wage earners okay well jen this is the last question is for you and I think this is a really important question. As we listen to all these proposals, you know, so first of all, I guess we should have said this from the beginning. These things are probably only really likely in a scenario, of course, not only where Biden wins, but probably the Senate uh, is controlled by the Democrats as well. Right. They've, they've maintained the House. They flipped the Senate. And now Biden wins the White House. But there's another important, I think, variability question in here in terms of how likely all this is. And. You know, this Biden plan we discussed, as we understand it, was developed and released. And I, you know, using air quotes here in terms of release, because, as I said, we've never seen an original source document. But this was all done before the covid crisis. Now, you know, candidate Biden has said in interviews that he still stands behind at least portions of the plan. But do you think there's a scenario where the plan will be forced to change because of an ongoing either covid crisis, a health crisis or an economic crisis? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's. And I remember the day it was changed. I mean, it wasn't even changed this. I mean, it wasn't released this year, right? Biden released his tax plan at the end of 2019, which in COVID years is like 20 years ago, right? So much has changed since then. The economic condition has extraordinarily changed. So the priorities are going to necessarily have to follow, right? The, the tax plan really focused on kind of rolling back, TCJA rolling back, um, some of the rate cuts that were in there, really focused kind of on you know, what was viewed as fertile ground and attacking portions of the TCJA that, were, that would be popular among the base. 
right, the, among the base to attack. So it, it will necessarily have to change and evolve with the evolving circumstances. You know, the, the increase in the corporate rates, moving it up seven points, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for the business community, especially if they're facing, you know, dire, a dire economic downturn. And frankly, you just don't even raise as much money as you would like from that kind of a proposal when, when folks aren't making a lot of tax, they don't have much taxable income to begin with. And a lot of it, a lot of the focus is also going to have to shift to individuals, right? These are the people on the front lines that are going to be really negatively affected, and these are the voters. So the, there will have to be some sort of shift. Whether it's a detailed shift or not, that remains unclear. As we mentioned on our previous podcast, sometimes more detail doesn't necessarily help, but uh, it will be important for, um, for Biden to kind of pivot and to really focus on individuals, especially, you know, given the current circumstances. So that tells us, you know, that for anybody trying to predict the future, it's so hard to do. It may be impossible because we just talked about the variables. You've got the political variables, of course, with the November election. And then even after that, once you've weathered that, we just honestly don't know what the economic and health situation is going to be like when we get to 2021, 2022. Uh, and before long, of course, and, you know, we'll be, you know, the, the world will be focused on the, the 22, 2022 midterms, right? And then it won't be long after that, the 2024 is here. So it's never quite as easy as it sounds in this, uh, you know, the, 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 the COVID situation makes it that much more complicated. Well, that's all we have time for today. As I said, next we will turn to some of the details of the Biden plan to try and explore how some of these proposals work and what the policy and legislative aspects to consider of each are. But until then, thanks for tuning in today, and we'll talk to you on the next episode.